the scripture readings this morning are Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 9, found on page 8 of your Bible, and Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 10, found on page 1007 of your Bible. <clears throat> Let us begin with prayer. Father God, we thank you for our blessings upon blessings which you give us, that we can live and move and have our being in you. We thank you for the blessing you have given us of your word in which you revealed yourself to us and what our response should be to that word. Illumine our spirits today by your Holy Spirit, Father, that we will know what it is that your will is for us and that we will obey in faith. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 9. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarah his wife and Lot his brother's son and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Sechem to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord, who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 10. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went on, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went on to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. The word of God for the people of God. Perhaps the um, 
funnest baseball game I ever went to was taking my friend Alan from Scotland. Uh, some of y'all have met Alan. Some of y'all introduced Alan to firearms, four-wheelers, and snakes along the Hatchie River. But we decided we had to take him to the culture. We took him to Oxford to see a baseball game, which he had never experienced. And his comments uh, were, were wonderful. Would, would have made a great show just to have, you know, British commentary on American baseball. We were off to a good start with a 12-foot corn dog, or a 12-inch corn dog. <laughs> 12-inch corn dog was a good start to it. And um, as they came out on the field, I remember he said, and by the way, since I know we broadcast, I had to get his approval to share this. So he, he said, well, it's not a very sartorial, elegant game, is it? Like rugby is, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, he, he, he didn't think the trousers fit quite properly. But anyway, we, we were going for a while, and um, I, I forget who somebody got. They, they had someone on um, third, and um, the, the batter bunted and to get him on base, and, and it was a complete shock after seeing everybody take swings. Why in the world would you so obviously send the ball to be captured and get an out? So we explained he sacrificed so that he could get, get a point for the team, and that's quite noble. <laughs> so, so next time, you know, that's, that's a noble thing. And then, uh, well, they got three outs, and so uh, they were, they were um, changing teams, and he was asking, are they stopping for tea? Which I think is something they actually do in cricket. I think at some point they stop. But, but you know, it's, one of the, it's just one of those great things. You travel, and you have friends from somewhere else, and to see the cultural distinctions and difference. So many things that we assume aren't shared with other cultures, um, we often um, are amused even with the common language of meanings of those words getting us in embarrassing situations when they don't mean quite the thing uh, somewhere else. Some of y'all have shared with your travels of the things that not aren't just kind of amusing, but sometimes annoying, sometimes even frightening. Some of y'all have been in situations that let you know quickly this isn't the United States anymore. There is something different about the, the culture I'm in, and you've, you've been in pretty frightening things. Some of y'all doing mission trips to Honduras have experienced those. Being in a different culture is strange. It stands out. Things are, you know, um, seem to be familiar, but then there's just some weird things that happen to remind you you're not from there. You're not at home anymore. And as we think about Abram being called out to go from his city in Ur, as he's made his way to Haran, um, that God is calling him saying, leave here, leave your home, leave what you know, and come to a place I'm going to show you, and I'm going to bless you. But Abram doesn't know where he's going. He, he doesn't know what it's like. And so he's called to leave home and enter into a foreign culture where he's different and distinct and he's never quite sure how things are fitting in. He's always going to stand out a bit, very much like any of you who've experienced culture shock. That is what Abram has been called to do. And he does that. He leaves, going to a place he doesn't know, trusting that God is going to bless him. He does so by faith by trusting the one who has called him. You'll remember 
These are all showing us that faith is not merely trusting the fact of something that has happened in the history. Not just trusting that Jesus died on the cross to save me from my sin, but trusting that that death and that event has an impact on a future that I'm called to, that you're called to, that we are going to a city that has a foundation, whose builder and architect is God, that we have a hope that is being that draws us into this future. We're being led out of one place into a new hope. So we're going here, and we want to see that Abraham shows us a very much a model of the Christian life. That he, he leaves, he goes to a place where he's dwelling among foreigners, they speak a different language, they, they're, um, um, they're living in a different lifestyle, they have different habits. He's trying to see what it means to follow this God who has called him out. And we as Christians are called to leave the world that we're in, the kingdom of darkness, and enter into the kingdom that Christ is establishing, that is building. You know, a lot of the difficulties um, that we face is people kind of want to just add Jesus on top of everything else they're doing. I have my life, I have my habits, I have the things I want, I have my goals that I want to pursue, and maybe if I just add a little bit of Jesus in, it'll help me get there better. I can be a nicer person. And we want to take all that we do and just kind of add a little Jesus on top. And, and I see this all the time of, of people who like the authority of Jesus and they like the appeal of things about Jesus. But they, they take all the assumptions and, and the way their imagination is shaped by the culture. And they think that being a Christian is just doing more and adding Jesus. But what we're called to do is leave everything that we've known to be true. We've leave, leaving our home, which means leaving what we've been told is the good life, leaving behind what it means to be successful, turning our back on the ways that we're supposed to get what we think we should get. All of these things are now changed and shaped by the cross so that what we see is we are being brought into a kingdom that doesn't have the same assumptions as the world around us, that, that doesn't have the same values, that has a different vocabulary, has a different meaning, has a different purpose. And so what we have to do is not just say, I'm going to take who I am and all that I am, and I'm going to throw Jesus on top of that and be a good person. But what I have to do is I have to say, I'm starting all over. I'm going to turn away from the things that I think are the good life to let Jesus tell me what the good life is. To tell, let me have Jesus tell me how I ought to live and what habits I ought to form. And the biblical word for that is repentance. It's not just stop doing bad stuff and stop, start doing good. It's turning your back on the kingdom of darkness, on the ways of this world, and listening to the gospel shape us into how to follow and be part of his kingdom. Let me give you a few examples of the way we don't even think about it encroaching in on us and that we have to turn our back on these things. Uh, one is, you know, we're, we're just shaped by a culture that makes us consumers, that tells us your preference and your taste are sovereign over all things. That's why you go to the grocery store. And if you're like me, sometimes you get paralyzed in front of the spaghetti sauce. 
How many types of spaghetti sauce can you have? It's mostly tomatoes. I'm tempted to put a Seinfeld voice on to do it. But, I mean, you look at it. You look at all the different types. And there's the extra chunky. There's the garden. There's the garlic. There's the meat sauce. There's, I don't know how many types of spaghetti sauce. I, they, they haven't worked out an onion list for Tommy White yet. But they're getting there. They're going to have all these types. And what the message is, is your preference is the most important thing. That's why you do anything and you're bombarded with a questionnaire. How much did you like this on a scale of one to five? How much did we meet your expectations on a scale of one to five? Everything is based on how much do you like it? Because that's what we're told is the greatest thing. And so we come to the church. And, and it's a temptation for the church to say, okay, if, uh, if, if you like country music, we got this eight o'clock service. And if you like you know, cool jazz, we'll do a 10 o'clock service. And if you like Zydeco, you know, when we get a quorum, we'll do that too. And rather than us coming in and saying, I want to worship with brothers and sisters, I might not have liked that hymn. I might hold a grudge that the pastor foolishly chose several hymns that aren't familiar to us today. (laughs) Sorry. But, But, you know, if we come in with the attitude of, Meeting my expectations is the most important thing that ought to take place. How can you follow one who said that you serve others, that you put the needs of brothers and sisters above yourself? How can we ever learn to be a disciple? How can we ever turn away from the idea that everything has to match my expectations and suit my taste and conform to my preference and then follow Jesus? Because to follow Jesus is to do away with that and to say, you know, he came to seek and to, um, he, he came to serve and lay down his life. What can I sacrifice for others? How can I focus on others? How can I wash the feet of brothers and sisters rather than how can I have my needs met? Another way is, you know, we're, we're in a culture that tells us, look out for number one. You've got to take care of yourself. Nobody's going to take care of you. And, um, you know, if, if somebody is difficult, you get them out of your life. You only spend time with people who uh, make you feel good. And we come and God throws us together. And what we have to learn is that we're not here to be used to help other people um, become who they want to be you're not tools to be used and abused as other people pursue their dreams we're brothers and sisters who help each other and walk together Um, and we we recognize our need to serve one another rather than use one another can I just say that some of you have really been hurt by the church some of you have really been hurt by people who profess to be Christians and a lot of times is, is there are people who wanted to throw Jesus onto what they're already doing, but they're based in assumptions of success is me getting what I want and whoever I have to run across over and over and use, who cares? And you've been hurt by those people because they haven't returned, turned away from the kingdom of darkness and had their life and imagination and perception and values and goals shaped by Jesus Christ who loves and gives himself and calls us to leave where we are and to come to him.
And so this is what we do. This is the model of the Christian life is we, we leave all that is behind us and we enter into the kingdom of justice and peace and grace and mercy. And one of the reasons we gather today in worship is because we're bombarded throughout the week with the message of what it means to be successful, what it means to live the good life. And we're so bombarded with lies and deceit that what we have to hear is his word remind us who we are and to live together with brothers and sisters who show and display us what it means to show grace and to mercy and encourage one another to live into the real world of his coming kingdom, not the world of lies that tells us your value is in what you have, your value is in um, popularity, your value is in these things. And yet, we're not in the kingdom. The kingdom is not here. We live wandering as God's people. That's one of the reasons he points out by faith, verse 9, by faith, Abraham went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with them of the same promise. The point of them living in a tent is a tent is, for most people, temporary. It's something that's not lasting. And he's there between where he has left and before he is where God has promised. And that is so much of our life. It's the already not yet. It's that God has begun breaking in. He's been begun his kingdom among you but his kingdom is not yet here. And so until that day that we are in glory and he returns, we're living in a tent. We're wanderers. We're strangers among foreigners. That, that this is the life of a Christian is that we are not home. And there should be something about this world that makes you homesick. There should be something that makes you long for what God is bringing because it's not here. And if you're longing for it, that's a good sign that you are in Christ, that you're longing for what he's bringing. Have you realized how much wandering and traveling God's people always are doing? It's always moving. Abraham, leave her, wander around. I'll tell you when you get there. He gets there, but he doesn't build a city. He's intense for a while. And then before you know it, his grandkids, great-grandkids are taken off into Egypt. And they're strangers in Egypt wandering for a while. They leave, and rather than a quick jump back up to the land God's given, they're wandering for 40 years, living in a tent, living in a camp, waiting to get to this place. They get there, and before long, their disobedient means they're, they're kicked out. They're in Babylon. They're wandering and they're strangers living there again. They get back and it's, it's not too long before they're scattered. And as the church is scattered, we hear of Christ. He comes and we hear the Gospels. But the next generation immediately, if you read Acts, what is Acts? It's Paul's travelogue. He's going all over the place to share the Gospel, to tell people about Jesus. They're going everywhere. And so we continue our pilgrimage. And, and historically, the church has understood pilgrimage. It's understand mission. It's going out to share. And all of that points to the spiritual reality that even if you've lived in the same place your whole life, you're not home. If you're a Christian, 
You're, you're living in a tent. You're wandering. You're not there yet because the kingdom is your true home. And so if all of this is a, a, a good reminder that this is not the kingdom and it's not meant to be. A couple of things that does for me should do for, well, hopefully does for me, should do for us. One is um, I don't need to have the expectations that this world is going to fulfill those longings. As good and a just of society as we have ever had, it's still been sinful and broken and fallen and is not perfect. There's still sin and injustice and violence and things that are wrong. And as much as we love and want to build things according to what is good for people to do and be their best, we have to recognize that it's not going to be complete until the kingdom comes. And so I can't look to anything to satisfy that longing. And the more I try to say, you know, if we just got this right, or if I just get this, or if we just bent back to the way that was, everything would be okay. You forget we're wandering. We're, we're, we're here in time, and we live out our life according to what it is now, but we're not expecting this to fulfill that. And because we remember this is not the kingdom, this political situation is not the kingdom. Our families are not the kingdom. The, the things around us are not the kingdom. One of the things is we can be really patient people. If we don't expect things to be something they're not, I can be more patient. For some of you, that means being more patient with yourself. We're not in the kingdom yet. You're not perfectly sanctified. We're growing in grace. We're going to stumble. We're going to continue to sin. And we continue to follow Christ and trust that he is working in us. But be patient with yourself as you grow in grace, as you do a little better each day. Even as you stumble and get back up, be patient with yourself. But it also means being patient with others. We can't expect foreigners to act like citizens. We can't expect unbelievers to act like sanctified Christians. So we still love our neighbor. We serve them and we seek what is best, but we don't expect them to be hypocrites pretending to be something they're not. You know, it's, it's very easy for Christians to be shocked that unbelievers act like unbelievers. Let me give you just kind of a thing. It, it hasn't happened in a while, thank goodness. But a few years ago, do you remember like every Christmas was some kind of faux outrage over Starbucks coffee cup or somebody saying happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas? Good, you've all forgotten it. Sorry to bring it back up. There was a time that that was kind of, uh, maybe y'all are much healthier about your social media use than your pastor. People would get angry saying they took Merry Christmas off. But if someone's not a Christian, why would you want them to say Merry Christmas? Just to be cultural, nominal Christian, just to be hypocrites? And, and if we, we look at the world and the values and the things, if they're not believers... We have to understand that coming to Christ and following him and trusting in him, it's not saying we can't disagree with somebody. It's not saying we don't speak the truth in love. It's not saying this is what God calls us to do and this is where we need to be. But we can't be surprised if the world that we're living in, if it's not the kingdom, if we're living in a tent and we're wandering, doesn't act like citizens of the kingdom. 
And so we have patience with our neighbors. We love them and serve them, not expecting them to be what they're not. Praying and sharing the gospel and, and, and hoping that one day uh, they come, but again, being patient. When we are coming from one place, going to another, we're looking for that city. We're doing so knowing that we're not there yet. But we're also doing so having a better glimpse of who we're called to follow. It, it amazes me that every command and everything we're called to trust in is not arbitrary. It, it's not imposed. It's, it's very much fulfilling what God says when he says, be perfect as I am perfect. In other words, when we're called to be obedient, when we're called to have faith, we're called to have faith and be obedient to one who himself exhibits what we're called to trust in. So I'm, I'm called to be faithful, not as some kind of arbitrary rule that God comes up, but to mimic the character of a God who is faithful in his promises to me. I'm called to be truthful because God himself is truth. And we're called to be wanderers by faith, trusting in the kingdom that is to come, the city that he is building, because we're doing so trusting Abraham's great, great, great grandson who experienced the greatest culture shock of all. He didn't just go from Scotland to Tennessee. He didn't just go from America to halfway around the world. He left his father's glory. He left his home where his majesty was on display and recognized. He left the perfection of that to enter into the filth of the brokenness of this world. To come alongside the tears and the broken hearts, the shattered relationships and the hurt and the sin that we know. And he enters into this and he walked alongside us as the greatest stranger tabernacling among us, as John says, living in a tent, knowing this is not going to be what is the final plan, the final goal, but living with us so that as he goes to the cross and as he sheds the blood, he lays that foundation that Abraham was looking for. The foundation of the city that he is building every time you come to trust in him. Every time the gospel is believed, every time that you are living out faith in him, he is building this city with you, the citizens of it. And so we trust and we have faith, not just in that what he has done, but faith in what he is doing through you and what he is going to do when he returns and the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom of our Lord in Christ. And every knee will bow and every tongue confess him as Lord and we will finally be home. Would you please stand and let us state what we believe through the words of the Apostles' Creed. <laughs>